You are listening to an Elam Church Christchurch podcast. We hope that you are encouraged and inspired by the message you are about to hear. And if you're ever in Christchurch, why don't you pop in and say hello? We'd love to connect. Well, like I mentioned before, my name's Pete, and I'm looking forward to sharing this message with you. It's a message called Faith in All Our Moments. Faith in all our moments, not just the good moments. We all know about having a moment. You might say to somebody, I'm having a bit of a moment here. And it's a polite way of saying I'm having a bit of a stress, stressful moment here. I have an emotional, painful moment here. We say I'm having our moments. And I want to share with you about having faith in all of our moments. This is, uh, we, we all... If you're part of a family, you'll know that everybody has their moments. And for, for, <laughs> Wow, okay. <laughs> it's true, eh? It's true in all of our families. In fact, I think this is why my personal preference for family Christmases is that they last one day. <laughs> one day and no nights. Because if you take them longer then people start having moments, all these moments. You only hang out with your family, extended family, once at Christmas, and man, can there be some moments? We all have moments, and uh, one, of, one of the things I've noticed in my life is that I've, I've in, in the past, growing up as a kid, I've enjoyed uh, reading biographies. Biographies of people who have done amazing things for God, and they wrote, kind of rewrote some of these famous biographies so that kids could read them. I used to read a book about um, David Livingston. He, would, he, he took off um, to Africa and spent a whole big chunk of his life as a missionary doctor in Africa and has some crazy stories, and I would read all about his time in Africa. I also read about Hudson Taylor in China. Incredible. In fact, Hudson Taylor inspired me so much to actually name my own son Hudson because he just carries such a powerful man of faith. I read, read about John Wesley. John Wesley uh, rode the equivalent. He was called the horseback preacher because he would ride everywhere to preach. He rode the equivalent of 10 times around the world in his lifetime. He rode 400,000 kilometers in his life on a, on a, on a horse. Not a motorbike, a horse. Incredible. Incredible man. In fact, interestingly enough, he had one of his moments. I'm not going to speculate as to whether this was a good idea or a bad idea. I suspect that it's actually a bad idea. But he had the opportunity early in life to marry this girl that he was in love with, and he cast lots. He cast lots. He kind of rolled the dice, so to speak, as to whether he should marry this girl, and the, 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 the dice showed up no. So he didn't marry her. Kept on ministering. So I don't know if that's a good thing. There was one of those moments that you think to yourself, biographies, they're not always honest. They don't spend too much time on the personal failings of the character that they're portraying. They uh, don't spend too much time on the habitual patterns of sin or selfishness in these leaders. And so when you're reading biographies, you can pick up on a kind of message that says that maybe, maybe the reason they were so powerfully and mightily used by God was because they're more perfect than me. They had less moments than me. They had less selfish moments for you. I wonder if this this is true. Have you ever written yourself off as being used in a particular capacity for Jesus 
Because you perceive that somebody else better represents him than you. You think to yourself, man, I couldn't, I couldn't possibly be used of God because there's all these other people who appear to have it all together. And you know the truth about you. But how do you have faith in that kind of moment? Maybe your background um, from your past is a little bit different from the ones you perceive around you. And so you think to yourself, I'm not a leader. I'm not the speaker type. But deep down in your spirit, there's something that says, oh, I wonder if I could be. But you've ridden yourself off. Other people are not as perfect as you think they are. I'll let you into a secret to illustrate this. I shave once a week on a Saturday night. So if you only ever see me on Sunday, you could be thinking to yourself, oh, but he's always really well shaven. You know, he's always, 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 you know, always looking good. Let's hang out on a Saturday night and you'll see how most of the week is. Yeah, <laughs> she loves it. <laughs> Bit of rough. <laughs> but is it possible that maybe God's grace over your life is stronger and bigger and wider than you've given yourself permission to think? Is it possible that the grace of God for all of our failures and our shortcomings is actually bigger than we think? You know, the way the Bible describes its heroes is very different to modern biographies. They could leave stuff out, but they choose not to. Elijah is a fantastic example. If we didn't know the story about Elijah, you would be tempted to think that he never got anything wrong. But Elijah tells us, uh, sorry, the Bible tells us about Elijah, this crazy story in 1 Kings chapter 19. But I just want to back up a bit and give you a bit of context to his story. To his story. Well, first of all, the prophet Elijah uh, announces that this great drought will come upon Israel as a way of calling the people back into relationship with God. They had turned from Yahweh and they turned to the, to the God of Baal. And Baal was a water god. He was in charge of the, the water coming down from the sky, feeding the crops. And so they were turning for their daily sustenance away from God who actually controlled the weather to, to a, a man-made god. And so what happens in Scripture is often that God draws these gods into kind of like a conflict, like, like a showdown, cage match, you know, like, well, let's see really who's boss here. So Elijah says, there will not be rain on, uh, in Israel until I say so. And it's a way of saying, hey, God's going to tell you who's boss here. And so three years goes by. There is no rain. And at the end of the three years, Elijah goes before King Ahab and he says, we're going to do, we're going to finish this. We're going for a showdown here. And what we're going to do is that we're all, each person, each group is going to make a, a, a what do you call those? Altar. Great, great. Going to make an altar. We'll pray to our gods. And the one who sends fire, that's how we're going to decide the winner. So that's what happens. They go, nothing happens. Elijah steps up, immediate fire, boom, from heaven. Incredible. It's one of the most powerful stories in the Old Testament for the immediate fire and power of God. Then Elijah puts all of the prophets of Baal to death, and the people turn back to God, and rain comes. It's an incredible success. In chapter 19, 
this is how the story continues. But what you notice in, in, in the lead up to it is Elijah is this incredible man of God. What you see in his life is perseverance through those three years. What you see is discernment and hearing from God. He needs to hear incredibly accurately. What you hear, what you see is faith that God would not forsake them, that the whole thing was not a punishment as it was a calling back to God. What you see is the character of God being worked out in his life. But coming to uh, what I want to share today, chapter 15, this is how the story starts. Now Ahab told Jezebel, that's the queen, everything Elijah had done, and how he had killed all of the prophets with the sword. So Elijah, so Jezebel sent a message to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. If this was a modern biography, all of that would have been summarized perhaps in this line where, we, where the author might write, Elijah went into the desert for a time of reflection and was feeling discouraged. <laughs> right? But that's not how the Bible tells it. The Bible tells it like it is. He says that in response... It says that in response from a wicked queen trying to kill him, after he has literally called down both fire from heaven and brought rain to end the drought, in response to somebody of human means trying to kill him, he feels so discouraged that he is ready to end his life. The Bible says that he lay down and went to sleep. I don't, I've never fallen asleep in the desert before, but I don't imagine it's very good for your health. I don't think he was expecting to wake up. You know, this portrayal of Elijah teaches us so much, but, but one of the things right off the bat is that it teaches us that it's okay to be honest with God and uncomfortably honest with God. We often reframe our, our prayers in our minds so that when they come out of our mouth, they kind of have this holy ring to it. But that's not what Elijah does. He doesn't say things like, I am deeply discouraged. We might say that I'm deeply discouraged, but what we really mean is I'm ready to end my life. Elijah says, I'm ready to end my life. Elijah says, I've had enough, Lord. It tells us that it's okay to be honest with God. You might feel that God has abandoned you. You are allowed to tell him. If those feelings are real, you're allowed to talk to him like Elijah has. You might feel abandoned or let down or disappointed in your faith, and God is big enough to hear those issues. You might be even in a place where your emotions feel selfish or petty, and it can be hard to pray from that place. You can pray from that place and say, Lord, I, I know you're calling me to forgive. I just don't want to. You are allowed to pray that kind of prayer out of honesty. 
and let God minister to you in that place. Elijah was honest. Now, I'm not sure 100% what's going on for him at this time, but if I was to hazard a guess, I would say there was a big mix of all of these different types of things. I would say there's a mix of fear has gotten a stronghold in his mind. Because it's illogical that somebody who has just seen fire fall from heaven will be afraid of the queen. I, I, I would say that doubt has gotten a foothold in his life. He's doubting himself, and he's also doubting the power of God. And I imagine there's a bit of guilt in there too from doubting the power of God, having just seen it worked out so mightily. It's a failure of faith. And I wonder if Elijah actually knows that it's a failure of faith. And he doesn't feel like he can even do anything about it. Maybe there's depression going on. And I want to say that that if Elijah is experiencing depression, it's not for no reason. If you were to come alongside Elijah and say, come on, cheer up, mate, it's not all that bad. He would say, actually, truthfully, it is that bad. They've killed all of my prophets. I'm... I'm coming up against this queen who thinks she's all-powerful when she has no reason to assume that she's not all-powerful. Her history tells her that she can do whatever she likes and she's after my blood. But the great news and the heart of what I want to share with you today is that the grace of God is big enough to cover it all. It's big enough to cover it all. God met Elijah in that desert place and he led him out. The grace of God is so much bigger than we think. It covers more than we think. So I want to to share with you just three things that I see in this passage that, that you can too. And the first one is this, is that God is still with you. God is still with you. Elijah chose to self isolate from God. So did Jonah, actually. He chose to self isolate from God. But his decision to isolate himself from God was not enough to break off the presence of God in his life. He made the decision to pull back from the Lord, but that was not enough. God was still with him. God responded by sending an angel to be with him. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 5, it says, All at once, so he's under the, under the tree, under the broom bush. He's fallen asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread, baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The failure and the fear and the doubt that he was going through was not enough to make God withdraw his presence and his blessing. God met him in his moment, sent an angel to encourage him. And the thing that I love about this passage is the angel need to do it twice. Like once was not enough. He got up and he ate and he maybe felt some measure of encouragement, but it wasn't enough to actually stop him from going back to sleep. He thought, thanks for the bread. Back to sleep we go. In verse 7, it says this, The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. You know, we can often think that because we've had a crisis of faith, that maybe God has moved on to somebody else who is stable, more faithful, or prays harder. But the character of God is that he's an ever-present help in times of trouble. He is a good, good father 
And when a good father's kids get themselves into trouble, he is there for them. He is present with them. And so if you're in trouble this morning, God is there for you too. You know, this isn't in my notes and it's just kind of fresh, so so I'm happy to be corrected about it. The Holy Spirit is not as easily offended as many people say he is. You can grieve the Spirit. Rebellion grieves the Spirit. You can... uh, Yeah, grieve the Holy Spirit. You can quench the Holy Spirit in your life. But he's not as sensitive as many people think. I I, I just know know that in my own life. I know that in the character of God, that that there is grace. There is grace upon grace upon grace. The, The Bible says that his mercies are new every morning. There is always an invitation to come back into closeness with the Holy Spirit. And it's not something you have to learn. I think you see that in this, in this passage. There's grace for it. But a second application from this passage is this, is that God sent the angel to encourage Elijah. And so you can be the angel that he sends to encourage somebody else too. You can be the angel in their life. And the, and the, the formula is very easy. Food and personal presence. That's... That, Angel doesn't say anything wise, just says, get up and eat, which is probably actually quite wise, but if you're like this. But it means that all of us can, can turn up in somebody's life, bring food, be present with them in their life. You could put it this way chocolate cake is a pastoral care tool. Just bring some cake, it's great. And we all have our moments, and God is still with you. Second idea is that the Lord will still provide for you. God will still provide for you. Do you see, God sends the angel and the angel turns up with food and it's it's like a pastoral care tool. It's a way of encouraging Elijah. But it's not just a way of encouraging Elijah. It's also a way of meeting his needs. The uh, The angel turned up with food because it was provision for Elijah's present and future needs. Verse 7 of this passage says this, The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. The journey that was to be ahead of Elijah. Verse 8, So he got up and drank, and strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Then he went into a cave and spent the night. So the angel says to him, kind of, in effect, the journey I'm going to send you on is too much for you. So you need to accept the grace of my provision. If you're going to go on this thing that is ahead of you, he's saying to Elijah, if you're going to go on that, if you're going to be obedient in the next season, you need my provision. You can't do it on your own. You need the grace of my provision, a grace that you have not earned. Elijah might say, but But Lord, you don't know what I've just done. I've effectively just given up on this call of my life. And yet you would not only lead me out of this dark place, you'd actually provide for me. The Lord would say, yes, absolutely. That is the character of God. Lamentations chapter 3 says, uh, verse 22, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. It's a beautiful song that goes there. 
I'm not going to sing it. It's a great song. Look it up. They're new every morning. New every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. His grace through provision is so much greater than we think. We think we have to earn it. We think we need to really pray hard and work hard to get it. God says, His, my grace for you is so much greater than you think. Elijah found himself in a dark, depressed, dysfunctional place. And in that same place, he found provision from God for his needs. You know, Philip Yancey wrote this great book called What's So Amazing About Grace? If you haven't read it, it's, it's really, really cool. And one of his, the key concepts of his, uh, of his book is that there's grace, which is undeserved favor from the Lord. And he kind of postulates that there's also this thing called ungrace, which is at the other end of the spectrum. Ungrace is where we all drift towards to. We all drift towards ungrace with this temptation to think that we've got to actually earn some things. Now, how that might work out in your life, you know, we all, if you're a Christian, you know that you can't earn forgiveness. You can't earn it. And so, so we're relatively good at experiencing forgiveness for our sins. We're in the grace camp. But we feel the pull towards ungrace where we might still try and earn his favor over our finances. We'll accept forgiveness from our sins, but we won't necessarily be immediate to accept favor over our finances. We think we have to earn it. We might be able to accept forgiveness from our sins, but still try and earn a touch from the Holy Spirit through good behavior. Or we might imagine that the reason we're not being blessed in a particular way is because of our poor choices. The grace of God is abundant. It's grace. It's not ungrace. It's grace, and it's abundant to provide for all our needs, even in our dark and dysfunctional moments. You don't have to live very long on this world before you hear somebody say something like, you know, if they, were, if they would only do dot, 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 they would find their lives improved. If they would only just stop going to the pub, if they would only stop doing this, if they would only just get better at this, then they would, they would find that there's a, a result. That's, that's not necessarily all false, but there are huge undertones of ungrace that says, if I was to earn this, then I can lay hold to something. It's not true. You know, it's a little bit like this. I took the student to lunch one time, and I was a young parent, and so I was just grateful to be out of the house. <laughs> and I was, I, was, I was shouting lunch, and I was just grateful to be out of the house. And the Lord had blessed us in that particular season, so finance at that time wasn't a big deal. And I just wanted to get, get out for lunch. And I was shouting this guy lunch, and, and I, I became aware as we were choosing what we would have that the reason this particular guy was choosing a cheap meal was to, to not be a burden. He was just, you know, have you ever been in that situation? You're shouting somebody and they're just kind of, I'll just have the soup and bread or something like that. And, and it, was, it was frustrating for me because I'm saying, man, like, you don't know how, how great it is for me to be out of the house. You, 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 you don't know how much I just want to enjoy, like, having a wonderful meal. Don't imagine... So some, people are, some people are judging me. Some people are identifying with me right now. It's like, preach it, Pete. Some people, what the heck? Doesn't he love his kids? So I do love my children. I also love steak dinners, you know. 
But, you know, you know, I kind of felt like saying to this guy, like, don't imagine limits where there are not limits. Don't limit yourself and your enjoyment of this meal by imagining in your mind that there is some kind of cost limit that doesn't actually exist. I'm saying I just want to bless you. I just, I just want to, you, it doesn't worry me if your meal is $22 or $26. It really couldn't care less. What I want to do is have a good time. Don't imagine limits. And I just feel like this morning that so many of us imagine limits on the grace of God. Yeah. We imagine limits. We put limits and God says, no, it's, you, you, have, you don't quite get this. The grace of God is limitless. It's abundant. You're in that dark place. God's provision is there for you. It's uncomfortably extravagant. I think, I think in my life, and I think this is true for a lot of people, one of my biggest sticking points in the Christian faith is the abundance of God's grace. It's uncomfortably extravagant. Somebody said once, Jesus leaving the 99 to go after the one makes no sense until you are the one. Finally, if you've had your moments, moments of doubt, moments of fear, when fear was louder than faith, I want to encourage you from this passage, God's plan is wider than you think. His plan and his will is wider than you think. Elijah has taken himself off into the desert and it's kind of this act of depressive rebellion. And God met him in that place. God fed him and encouraged him. But Elijah may have thought that he was already outside of God's will and plan. When it turns out that he had placed himself on the way to his next step. Elijah thought that he was outside of God's will, but God met him in that place and said, actually, you've been in, in my will this whole time. In verse 8, it says, So he got up and drank, and strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God, then he went into a cave and spent the night. God's plan was to call Elijah into the cave so he could commune directly with him, speak directly with him. So we get a little bit theological for you here this morning. Many people imagine the will of God to be like a movie footage, that, that there are s everything ahead of you is like a set picture in a, in, a, in a movie reel, and that it has to play out. And any deviations that you make through rebellion or unwise choices or just doing the wrong thing is a deviation from that movie footage and lands you in plan B, which is not as good as plan A. M many people imagine the will of God to be like that, where any deviation is a compromise. But I actually think that God's will is more like a ski field. You know, you go to a ski field and, and there's the top and then there's the bottom and there are limits. You can go off the mountain, but there are also limits. You can't go off cliffs. You could go off a cliff. You'd face the consequence. But there are limits. And so there are start points and set points and there are, there are, there are specific points along the way where we're wise to go through. But that does not mean there's one set path. It's wider than you think. 
Should a person take this job or that job? But both could be blessed. Both could be great. Now, there are limits. And, but even when you cross those limits, God, God's grace is there for you so that there is always a way back to the clubhouse, if that's what they call them on the ski fields. It's wider than you think. This is important when it comes to understanding our mistakes and our failings. Because sometimes we can think that we've so deeply compromised what God had planned for us. And because of a past failure, we may never lay hold to the fullness that God has for us. But God's will and his plan for your life is wider than you think. Elijah found himself in what was his biggest failing moment. He was caught not just only thinking about himself. He was, he was caught not thinking about all that God had already done through him and could continue to do through him. He was caught just thinking of himself. And in the moment of his biggest failure, he found himself still in the will and the plan of God. God just stepped in and moved him on. I just invite the keys to come and we're going to conclude really shortly, but for some, this is a message you need to hear for right now. For some, you've had moments of faith in the past, but you've felt caught in moments of doubt, of fear, that like you're really just not sure anymore. I want to encourage you, the grace of God in your life is wider than you think. We can sometimes call people lost in the Christian faith. I don't know if you've ever heard that. You say, so-and-so's lost. Nobody is so lost that God isn't with them. The lost metaphor works in some ways and not with others, but in the area where it doesn't work is imagining that God doesn't know where you are. God knows exactly where they are and he is closer to those people or maybe even closer to you and you feel lost than you think. And for others, maybe this message just needs to be tucked away for the future because we're wise. We're wise to think that just because we're full of faith right now and God is moving mightily right now, does not mean that we might be tempted in the same way as Elijah was tempted at some point in the future where we will need to be told that God is still with us, that His grace for us is wider than we think. We are not immune to failure and doubt, and there may come a time when God will remind you, my grace is larger and wider than you think. So we pray together to Lord, right now in this moment, we, we bring all of who we are, all of who we are right now. For those people who are experiencing a moment of doubt, of fear, or even for those who are sensing failure in their life in some way, we bring those failures to you. We bring those doubts and those fears to you. We want to be honest about them. 
and we need your help to, to lead us out of this place. We thank you, Lord, that even in our dark moments that you are with us, that those moments don't scare you off. You provide for us on the mountaintops and in the valleys as well. And that your plan and your will for our lives is so much wider than we know. And so with every head bowed and eye closed right now, I wonder if there are people here or watching online and say, you know what, Pete? If I'm honest, I, I feel like my failures of the past have taken me out of the presence of God. Maybe I feel like you feel like you are far from God today. The great news about the Lord is for everybody who recognizes they are far from Him. And for everybody who says, you know what, I, I want to come back into relationship with God. To everybody who makes that leap in their minds, confesses it with prayer, God's promises that He would come into their lives and make them a child of God. So for everybody here, I want to tell you, God loves you. doesn't matter what you've done. God loves you unconditionally. We've all walked away from Him. There is sin in our lives that, 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 that always tempts us to drift towards doing what is right only for me. And that takes me away from God. And seeing our state as being far from Him, God sent His Son, Jesus, from heaven to earth to live a sinless life so that when they nailed Him to the cross, He might take off you and place on Him the punishment for all of your sins to all who would accept Him. So we're going to pray this prayer. Thank you for listening to this Elam Church Christchurch podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit www.elamchristchurch.org or connect at one of our services every Sunday at 10am.